Okay. It's on zero. How are you this morning? Good to see you. If you got your bulletin, we'd like for you to take that out. And um, I, I know that today there'll be people coming in after we get started. So if you're, you know, standing up, it's hard for them to see. Let them know there's a place for them to sit by you if they walk down your row. I, I can see them out there now still coming in the doors out there. All right. If you're a guest, first, second, third time, please fill out the registration. Give us the information. We're not going to use it against you. We're going to just send you a letter and say thanks for coming. So if you would do that, we'd appreciate it. Um, out in the foyer, there is a copy of our budget. There's a, a sign there. It has a picture of it. You can pick that up there. And then two weeks from today, we'll be doing our vote. We do it in here with everybody as we teach in our class. Uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Anyway, we don't do it out openly. We do it secret, secret ballot. That's what I'm talking about. Where you do the vote, fold it, turn it in, and then we know what you really think about things. So that'll be two weeks. All right. Um, the other thing is, is around the building, we've been averaging um, anywhere from eight to 14, 13, 12 new people, uh, families each week. And so we've, we've added some uh, parking places for guests. The problem is some of us are parking in the guest parking. So if you don't mind helping us with that, we'd appreciate it. And then when you come in here for the seating, if, see, I know if you come regularly, I know where you sit. I mean, I really, I, I can know where you're supposed to be sitting and that's fine. That, you know, we're all, we're creatures of habit, but if you come in some Sunday and somebody, especially a new person is sitting in your seat, don't tell them that. Just find another seat. We don't want them to be hurt feelings because well, they went to that church and they said that was my seat. No, we don't, we don't do that. Okay. All right. And then, um, men it's wrong on the back. Man up is a week from this Tuesday. Um, not this Tuesday. Okay. So just let you know that it's a week from this Tuesday, always the last Tuesday. And it kind of messes us up when there's five Tuesdays. All right. Everything copacetic. Let's stand and welcome somebody around you to church.
Father, you are so worthy of our praise, Lord. If we could walk through the week singing that song, Father, lifting you up to all who could hear Jesus, what a difference we might make. You are holy, 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 and so good to us, Father. We need you, Lord, to keep us on the path, on the straight path. When we fall, which we're going to fall, put us back on, Lord. Help me, Father, to be the person you made me to be. Nobody else. Be me. Lord, we thank you for the time we have now to give, to give up to you a portion of what you've given us because you've been so good to us. We ask your anointing on it, Father. We praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. wrestling with purpose what was I created for I'm more than what you see on the surface see beneath my skin and scars I'm skinned and scarred marred and twisted scarred by the past I need to be lifted and sometimes I question my own existence what was I put here for in my seams, it seems that there seems to be more. It's like I'm a light, unplugged from the socket. I mean, do I really exist to put money in my pocket? This nine to five feels like a nine to nine. My mind entwined, I pass the time. Life circles me as I wait. What is my estate? I feel like I was made for something great, and yet I can't quite put my finger on it. But when I look at my fingers and I see their design, I realize I'm one of a kind. And something created me. No, someone created me. And that someone made me for a reason. Even though it's clear the past years have been treason, I still sense this drawing, this calling, that even in the midst of my falling, there was someone who died to pick me up. Someone who rose to fix me up. Someone who's coming back to lift me up. And that someone is Jesus. See, God made me for a purpose. And when I delight in him, it's brought to the surface.
Sometimes the only words that we can say are hallelujah. Thank you that when your word says that we don't have the words to say that the spirit moans or groans the words for us and speaks to us, speaks to you, Father, the, from our souls and the depths of who we are. Father, if there's people in here today, they don't have the words. They can't put it into words. They can't put it into a, a voice. I thank you that you hear the depths and the cries of our hearts. You know exactly what we need. We don't even have to say it. Father, I pray will you be with us today. Father, you provide comfort. Speak through our pastor and the words that he has to say through your word. May it pierce through us and may we walk out of here differently than we walked in here with love, forgiveness, for, with joy, with peace. Father, whatever it is that we are needing today, Father, you supply it according to your riches and your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, singing that last song, there's, there's been times in prayer where um, I've actually tried to voice to the Lord, Lord, there's not a better, there's no word, you know, just to say I love you just doesn't seem adequate enough to, for what you've done for us. So maybe that's part of the answer there is just our singing hallelujah, you know, to the Lord. Well, we started a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, actually, a new sermon series that I felt was needed for the new year on what is the great need and it's encouragement. And that encouragement takes different forms. <clears throat> the first sermon that we gave was called Don't Give Up. Remember? Don't give up. Look up. And today what I'd like to do is cover something <clears throat> that really affects all of us at some point, And it's doubts. And I'd like to talk about how we cannot let our doubts defeat us. I would have to admit to you that in my Christian journey of 47, I guess, years now, that this has been one of the things that I've battled is doubts. Not doubting, is there a God, but doubts about God. Is he willing to do this? Can he really do that? And, and so forth. You'll see as we go through this. Everybody has doubts. We all tend to kind of second guess ourselves and ask, well, did I do the right thing? Did I make the right decision? And there are, and you need to listen to this, there are many different kinds of doubt. If you doubt, when you doubt the future, we call that worry. When you doubt other people, we call that suspicion. When we doubt ourselves, we call that inferior. When we doubt God, we call that unbelief. When we doubt what we hear on television, we call that intelligence. <clears throat> when, we, when we doubt, if you've got somebody that doubts everything, we say they're a cynic or they're a skeptic. Now, guys, we typically go through a period of doubt in our life called a midlife crisis. You haven't been there yet, a lot of you. You're too young. But some of us have been there, done that. 
And midlife crisis is the age of the three Bs, bifocals, baldness, and bulges. That's what's going to happen in your life. James chapter 1 and verse 6, verse 6 says, if any man doubts, he's like a wave bashed and washed back and forth. He is unstable in all his ways. Question, do Christians ever doubt? Well, let's look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are often troubled, but not crushed. Sometimes in what church? Doubt, but never in despair. There are many enemies, but we're never without a friend. And though we badly hurt at times, we are not destroyed. The point that Paul is trying to make here is that it is possible to have doubts and yet not be defeated by them. So today I want to do a couple of things quickly because we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper at the very end. One would be this, the three main causes of doubt. You may have come up with some others, but the, these are probably the three main causes that Christians will doubt. Then I'd like to give you three ideas of, from the scripture of how to deal with those doubts, how to overcome them. So let's jump right in on the first part. What are the causes of doubt? One, critics. Critics cause us to doubt. These are people who challenge us, you know, especially these um, pseudo-intellectuals, people that are teaching in our colleges and universities that challenge us, ridicule your beliefs. You know, the, the Bible talks about them quite a bit, actually, and the Lord calls them this, scoffers is the word that he uses. Many of us have been in a classroom or at work where our faith was criticized or was being challenged. The Bible says this, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, listen to that. Um, a fool in the Bible is not somebody that acts like a clown. A fool in the Bible, the definition is a morally deficient character. Someone that has morally deficient character. So you young people especially, listen, I don't care how many degrees a person has behind their name, if they do not believe in God, they are a fool. That's, we need to know that. All you have to do is look at the overwhelming evidence, folks, that, that creation was made by a creator. And whenever I have doubts, that's usually back where I go. I think, okay, I'm living in this. Here is this unbelievable universe that they can't even comprehend. And, and they're telling us all these things that revolve and rotate and they're going through at hundreds of thousands of miles an hour, yet they never collide. And then I come down to what I was reading the last couple of weeks about how now they're finding these little particles of, of, um, of um, plastic in your water bottles and such. It can't even be picked up on a... Um, uh, x-ray or, or a microscope, it, it, there's a special instrument that shows them that these little particles that we've been ingesting all these years. And I go from that, look it up, look at the, look that up if you need some more info on it, but all the way from that to the universe and people don't believe in the Lord, you know, it, it'd be kind of like me taking this watch, taking it off and just smashing it in hundreds, if not thousands of little pieces, putting it in a brown bag, shake it up real good, and out comes a Swedish watch. 
all working perfectly. Folks, the truth is this. That is the odds of all this coming together in the right balance without there being a divine creator. Critics will cause us to doubt. And I've heard people say, well, I, I can only accept what I understand. Then you're going to be doubting a lot. Let me give you two kind of humorous uh, examples of this doubting thing. About three years ago, true stories, I had a man right out there in that foyer tell me that he did not believe that Neil Armstrong ever walked on the moon and that we never landed there and that it was all put on, it was all a fake, it was all done in Hollywood, and he absolutely believed it. And when I thought he was joking and laughed, what I thought would be with him, man, he got mad. He really believed that. Last year, I had another man out there in the foyer told me, and he believed that, he said, Joe Biden is not real. He's an imposter. He's a fake. They created him. He put him in there. I mean, and they really believe that stuff. David said in Psalm 42, again and again, and they use that word there, they scoff. They say, where is that God of yours? But oh, my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Expect God to act. Critics can cause you to doubt. Be careful of them. Number two, your conscience. Your conscience. You've all, you've all heard you know, about letting the conscience be your guide. Well, your conscience can also cause you to doubt. Whenever you feel guilty, you listen, about something in your life, you have a tendency to rationalize what you're doing in order to back up your lifestyle. Agreed? That's what so many people are doing. A lot of Christians are doing that. 1 Timothy 1.19, for some people have disobeyed their consciences and have deliberately done what they knew was wrong. It isn't surprising that soon they lost their faith in Christ after defying God like that. I mean, folks, I can get out here on 44. I can, the highway patrol can pull me over and I can come back in here and tell you folks, I don't believe in speed limits. I don't believe in the highway patrol. I don't believe in judges. I don't believe in court. Is that going to change anything? No. And people are doing that all the time. Unbelief to justify their lifestyle. A foreign exchange, true story, exchange student from Brazil went up. He came with a college uh, friend, got him to come to church one time. He went to church. He went up to the pastor afterwards, and he thought he was going to blow the pastor away. And he said, well, I just want you to know I don't believe in a God. And the pastor said, well, I'm not so much interested in the fact that you don't believe in a God as I am in why you don't believe in a God. And he said, let me ask you a question. Let's just suppose between us right now that there really is a God and it's the God of the Bible. And my question to you is this, if that is true, is there anything about your lifestyle you'd have to change? He said, well, absolutely. If the, Bible, if the God of the Bible is true, I'm living some ways that I shouldn't be living. So the pastor said, well, then the real issue is not whether you believe in God or not, but are you willing to change? And, and folks, that is, that is absolutely true. Are you listening to this? Remember this statement. Our morality determines our theology. Our morality determines our theology and the way we want to act. 
And so we, here's what I will hear sometimes. Well, that's your interpretation, but I believe. See what they're saying? Or um, I don't care what God says, I believe. Or, you know, I don't care the Bible says that I feel like our consciences can make us doubt. Number three is the number one reason for people doubting things about God, and that is circumstances. This is the number one reason that people doubt God. When our prayers go unanswered, when a tragedy strikes in your life, you face an impossible situation. Jesus is out on the lake, the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and this is in Mark chapter 4. He's sound asleep, and this huge storm comes up, and they go back and they awake him, and he's been worn out, and they awaken him, and they said, first thing, Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? And isn't that the typical reaction? It is for me. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. When things started, when I've had tragedy in my life, the first way, my, the first way that my mind went was, "Lord, don't you care? You know, where are you, and, and why are you allowing this?" You know, Gallup some years ago put out in their poll that 96 percent of Americans believed in God. But here's the thing: when he started asking details, it was the type of God that they doubted. And I don't know that I believe that anyway, 96%, not today, in 2024. But people do, listen, people do doubt this. Is he personal? Is he, is he really caring? Um, is he really interested in me? I have never met, Stan, I need to ask you about this at some point. I have never met a real genuine atheist who doubted God for true intellectual reasons. And there just seemed to be a different reason for them. And, and believe it or not, the few, and I've not met many, I, I admit that, but the few that I have met, it seemed to be that they didn't believe in God because of something that happened to them in a church or a Christian did this or did that. And it was like, well, if that's what being a believer is, I don't want anything to do with it. Critics, conscience, circumstances can cause us to doubt God. Well, what can we do about that? Write these down quickly. Number one, admit your doubts. Admit your doubts. Jesus called John the Baptist, if you remember your story, the greatest man that had ever been born of a woman. Remember that? Of all the people born of a woman, John the Baptist, he said, was the greatest. John the Baptist is the man who, when Jesus came on the scene in his ministry at the, at, down at the Jordan River, thousands of people around, John is the one that said, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He, he confessed that. I'm not worthy to unlatch his shoes. That's the Lamb of God. Now John is in prison, and he starts having some doubts. So he sins, and he's about to get his head cut off. He doesn't know it yet, but that's what's going to happen before he gets out. And John's in prison, and he sins he has these doubts. So he sends some of his disciples and to say, ask Jesus, are you really the one? The one that I said you are, are you really the Messiah? And what did Jesus do? He healed people. People were raised that were sick, even from the dead. And he said, now go back and tell John what you've seen and tell him not to doubt. Now here's the thing. It was right after that, right after John expressed doubt 
that Jesus said, of all the people born of a woman, John the Baptist is the greatest. Right after he expressed a doubt. I thought that was encouraging for me. Another quick story. Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, missed the first appearance. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead, they were in a room together. And there were now 11 of them in there. And Jesus appears to them all. But there's only 10 there. A man named Thomas wasn't there, the Bible says. So after this was over, these 10 said, Thomas, it's true, man, it's true. Jesus is alive. We talked to him. We saw him. What did Thomas say? I won't believe it. I'm not going to believe it. I mean, these are people that he lived with. He knew they weren't liars, but he said, I'm not going to believe it till I see it for myself. Eight days later, they, they're in the same room. Jesus appears again, and Thomas is there. What did he do? Thomas, come over here a minute, man. I want to tell you something. Man, what are you doing? You know, why are you, why are you denying me, man? Ten of, your 10 brothers just told you what they saw. They saw me. I talked to him. Is, no, is that what he did? No. He opened his arms with love. He said, Thomas, touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. It's really me. Quit being a believer. The point is this. Not even your doubts can stop God from loving you. Isn't that great? That's, even if you doubt him, he loves you. That's what this story of Thomas is all about. Jude 1, Be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful. So that's number one. Admit it. Number two, doubt your doubts. I've, listen, that simple little phrase just amazed me about 14, 15 years ago and helped me through one of the worst times of my life when I was having some emotional doubts about things. And I, I think it was from Rick Warren. I don't know if I heard it or read it in one of his sermons, but that's what he said. Because uh, he was talking, giving a personal testimony, you got to doubt your doubts. Believe your beliefs. You know, what you say you believe, believe it, because that's what's true. And learn to doubt your doubts. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Doubt your doubts. Now, I was thinking, how can I illustrate something and tell kind of a personal story? How can I do that this morning? Because a lot of you have heard this story. Many of you have forgotten it. Many of you have never heard it because we have so many new people all the time. But I, what I wanted to share with you was this. How can I, um, I want to explain to you about how Nancy and I got engaged. Okay. Would you like to hear a little bit about that? Let me tell you that. I was working over in Port Orange in, in the school system. Actually, Deltona and Deland lived in Port Orange. And um, I would work all day long, Monday through Friday with at-risk kids, a high-stress job. So I worked there all day long. And then and I had to drive about 40 minutes one way from Port Orange to Deland and Deltona, and then back again at the end of the day. Two nights a week, I went to Mainland High School, and Ron Gibson and I would teach parenting classes to the parents of these at-risk kids that were having trouble. And then um, every Friday, I would pack up a little bit of stuff. I would drive in my old truck over to Crystal River, stay with my mom, and the old movie theater downtown that some of you don't even know, but there was a movie theater down there. That was a chapel. We called it Fisherman's Chapel. Same old movie theater I went to as a boy, and we had a, a little church there. And um, 
So I would drive over. We would, we would feed them something on Saturday night. We would show them a Christian movie. Sunday morning, I would get up. I would preach a message. I would get back in my truck, drive back to Port Orange, wash all my clothes and stuff, get ready, and, and, and come back and do it all over again for two years. We did that constantly. What I'm saying is this. I was busy. I was very busy all the time. I didn't have time to date. I wanted to date. You know, I wanted somebody in my life, but I just didn't, I didn't have time for that. So I'm praying, not really a prayer, but more of a thought. Lord, you bring the right person along and, person along and I'll marry him. Now, and I told, um, you know, I was telling uh, Chad, uh, Chad, please don't use this as a way to do it. They, they teach a, a marriage class. I said, this is not the way to do it. But anyway, um, I'm at the Fisherman's Chapel. And um, so there's a man that's a member of our chapel. He has a son that's a member of the church where Nancy was leading music down in Hernando Beach. And so they said, oh, wait a minute. She's single. He's single. So they started conniving. And they talked Nancy into coming up to the chapel and bring her handbell choir so she brought them up on a Saturday night, and they played some handbell stuff, and she sang a couple of songs. And I'm sitting out in the in the chairs and looking up at this lady. I said, mm, "Possibility, you know, there. That's that's possible." So, anyway, I finally got up the nerve to pick up the phone and call her and ask her out for a date. And so, uh, the only time I had, as you can imagine, is Friday afternoon. When I drove over, I had that Friday night. So I drove over. First Friday night, we went right out here. Used to be a place called the Country Oaks Inn. Real nice place, to, quaint place to eat. So financially proud of their food, though. But anyway, we went out there. And um, then the second date was a Gideon Pastors uh, Appreciation Banquet. And it was at the Plantation Inn. And it was back then, it was big. There was 150 people, I guess, at least there. And so I picked Nancy up. We went there um, for that second date. And what they had you do was they would go around the tables to every uh, pastor. You had to stand up and say, I'm pastor so-and-so, the church you were at, and, and introduce your wife. Well, so when it got to me and my table, and I said, well, I'm Pastor Lloyd Bertine from the uh, Fisherman's Chapel, and this is my friend and date for tonight, Nancy Mitchell. And, you know, that's how that went. So we're sitting there, and, and she's in here now, so i got to be careful. <laughs> so we're sitting there at the plantation, and, folks, she had on this blue dress. Blue dress. It was hot, man. I don't, listen, I don't mean improper hot, but she just looked good in that dress. And I really felt like, second date, I felt like the Lord saying, you're going to marry her. You're going to marry her. Second date. Now, there's, I doubted that. I doubted that for two reasons. One, I would rarely make a decision on an impression. Two, I wasn't in love with her, and she definitely wasn't in love with me, not after two dates. However, continued to go over on Friday nights. One and a half months later after the first date, we're engaged. Two months after the engagement, we're married. And now here we are later, all these years later, testimony. What's the moral of that story? Well, I wanted to tell you something about it, and that was this. You don't have to figure all your doubts out when the Lord tells you to do something. Um, before you say yes, 
to a commitment. That was number two. Now you know. Number three, begin with the faith that you already have. Isn't that good? Begin with the faith that you already have. Oh, listen, I'm reading a great book now. And it's all about this. Mark chapter 9 is this beautiful story. A man comes to Jesus with his sick boy who's about to die. And he says, Jesus, if you can, you can heal my boy. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? If you believe, anything's possible. And here's what he said in Mark 9, 24. Lord, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. In other words, Lord, I believe. Help me with my doubts. Help me with my doubts. You ever felt like that? I have many times. Can you be filled with faith and doubt at the same time? Yeah. Um, you can have the faith that God wants you to do something and yet be scared to death to do it. Courage, listen, guys, especially courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is going ahead and doing something in spite of your fear. That's courage. Matthew seven twenty. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible to you. You know, we often mix that up. In, in fact, by the way, in the middle of that verse, the Lord says something about that if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be moved, cast into the sea, and it will happen. Mustard seed faith moves a mountain. I get that reversed. You know, for me, I want to say, well, if I have faith like a mountain, I can move a mustard seed. <laughs> a lot of times that's where we are. People don't want, sometimes people don't want to make a commitment because they're afraid they've got, they've got to have all their doubts figured up. William Rainey said this, why didn't somebody ever tell me that I could become a Christian and work on my doubts afterwards? Now, some of you here, you may be, you may be doubting God's love. Does he really care what I'm going through or what I've been through? Maybe you're doubting God's power. You know, I've got this terminal illness or um, I, my husband or my wife walked out. Or maybe you're doubting God's forgiveness. You know, for me, this was a biggie um, in, in my early years was doubting God's forgiveness. How many of you have ever done this? I have confessed something to the Lord and then I go back again. Maybe a week later, maybe a month later, maybe a year later. And because it, it bothers me and I get guilty again. And I, and I ask him again. Anybody ever done that? You've asked him more than once to forgive you for something? I mean, over and over and over. It's almost like God says, hey, shut up. I've already forgiven you of that. Folks, really, he has. If you've honestly confessed it. Is it possible for everyone in this room right now to know absolutely certain that you, without a shadow of a doubt, that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Absolutely. The Bible says this in 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written to you who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you may not sin in the future or that you're going to disappoint other people. But you do have to put your faith in Christ. You do have to put your faith in him. Jesus said, I am the way. And I'm the truth and I'm the life. And nobody goes to the Father except by me. 
What was it that turned Thomas the doubter in, and skeptic into a believer? What was it? It was a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's what many of you need. You need a personal encounter. Maybe you've been doubting. Young people, maybe you don't know for sure. You've heard it. You've heard me say it. You've heard Pastor Brian say it. You know, but you must trust the Lord. You're old enough to know. Everybody in here, you're old enough to know that without him, you don't have a chance. And this is an excellent opportunity. We're about to observe the Lord's Supper. And really, only those who are believers, who are Christians, should observe the Lord's Supper. Because if not, the Bible, Paul says, if, don't, if you're not, you're drinking damnation to yourself when you take that. So we need to make sure. So I would like to encourage you right now to bow with me for just a minute. Just a minute. Scott, if you want to get everybody ready and bring them on up to the front. Folks, while we're getting ready for the Lord's Supper, let me ask you this. Have you had a personal encounter? Have you come face to face with the Lord and ask him to come into your heart? You, you're not, not that you're going to be perfect, but have you ever said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done things that I shouldn't. When I did it, I knew it was wrong. But Lord, I'd like to come to you. I'd like to be forgiven for all of my sin. I'd like to be forgiven for that sin nature I've got that shows itself by me doing this or doing that. And Jesus, I believe that you love me enough that you open your arms to me like you did all those people in the Bible and you want me to come to you in faith and trust in what you did on the cross. So I'm coming now. Would you tell him that in your heart? And then any of you, any of you, adults, young people, older folks, if you made that decision, I'd love to know about it. Young people, Brian, Pastor Brian would love to know about it if you prayed that in your heart today. The men are going to hand out the, we call them the elements. Take the wafer, take the juice, hold it till everybody's been served and we'll partake together of the Lord's Supper. You can give him your hallelujah. This is a way to give him your hallelujah.
night that he was betrayed with his disciples there present he took the bread and he said this is my body which will be broken for you and then later that night he took the cup explained to them that they knew all about the covenant in the Old Testament, but he said, this is a new covenant that's going to be in my blood. Drink all of it. Thank you, men. I think they'll have some bags out there that you can throw these away as you, as you leave. Unless you want a collection of them. You have that. Boy, it's so good to see all of you, you know, just to see a good crowd. I know it was cold this morning, but nice and warm in here and glad that you're here. Let's stand, have a word of prayer, and let you go home. Our Father, we just, we want to thank you. We want to lift a hallelujah to you right now for all that you've done. You, you have had your hand on us for going on 30 years now. And it just seems like it's stronger now than ever. We want to praise you for that because we look back to the cross and we look to the resurrection and it reminds us that we have a God that is all-powerful and can do anything. So Lord, as they prayed at the end of Revelation, as John said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy.